the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we look at the need for a balanced regional economic development in Ireland and the UK's triggering of Article 50, which means it will leave the EU in April 2019. On regional development, Fianna Fáil TD Niall Collins argues that the government has failed rural Ireland by concentrating development in Dublin. But Gina Quinn, former head of the Dublin Chamber of Commerce, says it shouldn't be a case of Dublin versus the rest of Ireland. She argues that the government should leverage Dublin to help the rest of the country. Later in the show, economist Jim Power will tell us again why we need a minister for Brexit. And he says that anyone who suggests that they know what the outcome of the Brexit talks will be is simply mad. Cliff Taylor, meanwhile, will take us through the timetable for the talks and outline Ireland's priorities in the negotiations. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash business. Now, Niall Collins, uh, last week you were critical of the government for not promoting regional development. You highlighted how Dublin accounts for about 45% of the country's GDP and you suggested that rural Ireland was being left behind. What's, what's the evidence for that? And why are you so critical of the government when uh, in the past, if you like, I mean, Fianna Fáil has been in government for a, a long number of years in the past and it hasn't got this, uh, it hasn't found the answer to this regional development either. And if you look at the, the GDP of uh, the City of London uh, in comparison to, to Dublin, uh, London equates to about 20% of GDP mm. in the UK, whereas we're up on about 40% here. Uh, the, the evidence is, is plain to see. I, I'm, a, I'm a deputy in Dáil Éireann who represents uh, County Limerick. I can see it uh, outside of Limerick City. I can see it in, in uh, county towns, in villages. Uh, and, and when you talk to people involved in business, uh, people involved in farming, uh, people who are trying to, I suppose, uh, feel the upside of the economy because obviously the indicators are there that the economy has turned the corner and, and is on the way up. But unfortunately, we seem to be waiting for the trickle-down effect from Dublin, that Dublin has to max itself out uh, and you have the spillover effect um, down into the regions. And I continually raise this with um, the Minister, Mary Mitchell O'Connor, uh, particularly um in terms of asking her to account for uh, the the work of the IDA and Enterprise Ireland. And I'm particularly critical in some counties, for example, Roscommon, where we had one site visit, one IDA site visit uh, during 2016. Uh, Another example would be uh, County Kerry, where there were three site visits uh, during 2016. Uh, Just simply not good enough. And I know we can't uh, force... Uh, the corporate world and these decisions are, are taken at boardroom level uh, when they come into this country uh, to, to view their options. We can't dictate to them where they should go. But I think our state agencies, uh, the IDA in particular, should be making a greater effort mm. to try and spread uh, in as much as we can. Now, that being said, and the Minister rightfully points back to me, if you look at my own city of Limerick, uh, we, we've had... Um, uh, a string of successful job announcements. But I think outside of our bigger cities, we have to try and spread it. We had, for example, mm-hmm. the, the closure recently in Nina where Brexit w- w- was cited. So we've all those challenges coming uh, on the back of Brexit uh, w- with the economy lifting up. Uh, the, the other, the other um, I suppose, positive that I'd like to point out is there there is a better potential to address uh, the, the demands of, for example, housing 
uh, housing, uh, the chronic shortage of housing uh, and suitable housing uh, for people who want to take up jobs in Dublin is a big, big issue in Dublin. But outside of Dublin, um, you know, we're we're certainly much, much better placed, I think, to deliver that quicker. Yeah, but what about the government? I mean, the government does have a plan. It has a plan out to 2040 that it's put out to consultation with the public and it has recognised that we're going to have a, probably going to have a national population increase of about a million people uh, out to that time period and that we need to have a conversation about building up rural Ireland. Simon Coveney has spoken uh, spoken about doubling the population in Cork, Limerick and Waterford uh, to act as a counterbalance to Dublin and I think he's also suggested that maybe Sligo could become a city or get city status. So, I mean, the government are looking at this. They're alive to the issue. Absolutely and I mean, successive governments have plans and you try and roll out those plans. One one of the key uh, pieces of infrastructure that I would like to see would be the M20 linking our second city, which is Cork, to our third city, which is Limerick. And and its connectivity uh, added with broadband. We're a year on now from the general election. And would you believe this uh, as somebody who stood in the general election? The biggest issue that was raised to me day in, day out was broadband connectivity. It's uh, and if you look even at farming, and I know we're we're probably focusing uh, more more so during this discussion on business, but farming is a business also. Uh, as of next year, um, farmers will have to transact uh, pretty much all of their transactions with the Department of Agriculture online, and so much so many parts of our country still don't have adequate broadband connectivity. So it's issues like that that we still have to we have to just co- that's my job to hold the government to account and to impress upon them that we have to get a, a regional uh, a balanced regional spread uh, and when you see uh, 40% of the of the employment gains in 2016 went to the greater Dublin area it shows you that that's where the concentration is going and we need to try and spread that around the country. Uh, Jim Parr, a tricky issue for the government isn't it because if you take the foreign direct investment for example most of the companies especially in social media and so forth they want to come to Dublin that's where people want to be based they don't want to be in Roscommon um, so it's a tricky issue for the government. Yeah, it, it is a tricky issue because uh, it's kind of natural that the capital city will be the one that will experience vibrant growth. It's where young people want to live. It's where you get the economic vibrancy. And Dublin is a clear example of and that. And we didn't have the Industrial How, Revolution like the UK did. So, you know, it has no, more dispersal, if you like, to other big cities. Y- yes, ab- absolutely. But, uh, but I think the model of regional economic development, and I firmly believe in regional economic development, I think we need to develop Sligo, Galway, Limerick, Cork, Waterford, um, and make those centres of population and centres of economic activity. And, you know, villages 20 miles or small towns 20 miles outside of those cities, they can't really expect to see uh, the uh, the IDA coming in, bringing in a major multinational to create jobs. I mean, what you've got to do in those rural areas, small rural towns, is to try and make the towns as vibrant as possible, a place where people want to live. Tourism. uh, Tourism is absolutely. But I also think we need to look at planning. I mean, one of the things that has hollowed out so many towns around the country is out-of-town development. You put a Tesco. I remember with great fanfare, the minister at the time was down in Nace opening the Tesco on the outskirts of town. Uh, the main street in Nace is now being decimated. Small shops closing. RT did a feature on it very recently. I mean, when you engage in out-of-town development like that, you just suck the economic mm-hmm. life. So I think we've got to refocus on generating towns as places that people want to live, that people want to socialise and they can commute 20 kilometres, 20 miles to the nearest town or city to work. Um, I think that's the model. The notion that, the, with, with all due respect, Niall, the notion that the IDA would bring a multinational to Roscommon I think is, 
extremely difficult. It'd be lovely, but I think it's impossible to see something mm. like that. And Jim, happening. you've argued for uh, the motorway between Cork and Limerick, big time, Ab- absolutely. I mean, it's 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 a national disgrace, actually. Um, connectivity is what regional economic development is all about. Um, physical infrastructure um, is one thing. IT, and I totally agree with Nile on the broadband, it's absolutely essential. The quality of the workforce is absolutely essential. And I suppose I'd be biased towards the southeast, obviously. Uh, but I Even remember, more our, yes, of course. But I remember doing a socioeconomic profile of the southeast a few years ago. And the reality down there is that a lot of young people leave school, they go on to university in Cork. Galway, Limerick, Dublin, wherever, they don't come back. So as a consequence, you get a brain drain out of the regions. So I think regional economic development has got to be based on strong educational institutions, the whole infrastructure thing. And I certainly think, as I travel around the country, Limerick to Cork just stands out as a national disgrace. Um, Would you not not agree, though, Jim, if you look at what was Shannon development, and I know Mm. it it has since... um, it has since been wound up, but for in its time, it was successful. Yeah. It brought... Um, well, it's now part of the Shannon Group, isn't it, with Shannon Airport and other Yeah, assets. but, but the, the, the industrial uh, development promotional role is now with the IDA, and the IDA have a presence now in the Midwest region, but, but they were hugely successful yes. in bringing foreign direct investment into Shannon Town, and, and right around the Midwest region, they developed um, mini parks right oh. up into Offaly, down into yeah. North Kerry, uh, and... So what I'm saying is I wouldn't agree that 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 it's that it's acceptable that the IDA wouldn't seek to push um, foreign direct investment into Roscommon. Roscommon is quite close. It borders on that loan, as you Population know. Population of what, about 50,000 though? Yeah, but it, bar- it borders on that loan. It has connectivity to, to, to the Dublin uh, Galway motorway. Yeah. I'd like to bring uh, Gina Quinn into the conversation. Gina, you were chief executive of the Dublin Chamber of Commerce uh, previously and now president of the National College of Ireland. But you were fighting Dublin's corner, if you like, for foreign direct investment and indeed mm. uh, jobs and, and other investment. How do you see this whole argument of regional development? Well, I think we have to be kind of realistic about this. The current uh, global situation is that cities are what are driving economic activity right across the globe. I mean, I was tempted to say the future is cities, but actually the present state of economic activity is in cities the world over and more than 50% of the world's population are living in cities. Um, I think Jim probably hit the nail on the head when he was saying that yes we've got to develop cities across the island of Ireland and the rural towns and villages and the rural landscape has to have a completely different strategy that is based on the economy of farming and based on the economy of tourism and also based on the economy of providing a living environment for people who will be commuting into cities for jobs. Um, I don't think that Ireland anywhere on the island can book the trend of what is referred to as the cluster effect, where companies want to be beside other like Uh, minded companies, other companies that are employing the same sort of talent as them. They want to be beside universities and third level institutions that are capable of cooperating with them in research or providing talent base. And indeed, 
the people who want to work in those companies also want to live in cities where they've got access to all of the other facilities, whether that be living circumstances, entertainment, uh, the built environment, the natural environment, whatever that happens to be that the city delivers. So, you know, I think we have to be realistic and say that cities are key drivers of economic activity. And I actually think the mistake we make in Ireland is that we focus too much on the debate around Dublin versus the rest of the country. We should be thinking about how Dublin can make the rest of the country really good, how Dublin contributes to the whole economy and how Dublin can work in partnership with the other main urban centres across the island. Jim Power, one of the problems we've had in Ireland over the years is uh, a lack of proper planning. And that's something that's probably led us down in, in many respects. And even I mentioned uh, about Fianna Fáil's uh, previous plans for regional development. We had the National Spatial Strategy in uh, 2002, which I think identified 20 towns mm. uh, as spatial. Uh, and then we had Charlie McCreevy's 2004 budget, which announced the decentralisation plan without any real forward uh, preparation in advance and both I mean the spatial strategy never came uh, came to being and the decentralization plan was kind of I suppose half delivered if you like yeah I, I reread the spatial strategy document of 2002 recently and uh, it was I think it was a fantastic document uh, I think it was it provided a template for what we needed to do unfortunately with that budget where Charlie McCreevy pulled decentralization out of the clouds that destroyed it and basically it discredited the whole regional strategy. Regional strategy. Um, we've had a number of reports over the last two or three years and just before Christmas the government launched its formal uh, rural development plan and people are now consulting on that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it, it has, there's, there's volumes written about regional economic development in this country but the planning system has never really backed that up in a real way. Um, I think it's important also that we cannot just depend on government or the IDA to do all of this. Um, I think local communities have got to stand up and do it as well and I'll get parochial here again, Kieran. but last Saturday, for example, in Waterford the Greenway was open from Waterford City to Dungarvan, 46 kilometres. That was basically done by the local county manager and the local community. You know, it was a joint effort um, and that's going to transform tourism in that part of the world. So I, I think, and I'm increasingly seeing this around the country, more and more communities are standing up and starting to do it for themselves. And I think that's the future. Uh, but government obviously has to put the infrastructure in place. Government obviously has to look at the broadband because you can't do anything anymore without having proper broadband. I also think it's important from a Dublin perspective. I mean, a successful country needs a successful capital city. Uh, the Greater Dublin Area accounts for 45% of gross value added in the Irish economy, so it's a big driver. But one of the implications of that is that tax revenues out of Dublin are transferred to the rest of the country to subsidise uh, sparsely populated areas. You know, that that is the reality. So if you focus development around the country and ignore Dublin, um, you're making a serious mistake. I think we've got to try and achieve at all. And it is interesting, if you look at the IDA's annual report of the results there in early January, you know, they do cite 
uh, the job creation in Dublin as against the rest of the country. And actually, the rest of the country is doing quite well. Um, mm. Limerick and Cork particularly are doing well. But of course, we want to make sure we don't make the same mistakes that we've made with Dublin, for example. Uh, a lot of congestion in, mm. in Dublin. We don't have proper uh, public transport. And we've had this donut uh, effect as well, yeah. which you've seen in some American cities. Yeah, that, and yeah. you know, you've got to also uh, look at the big new developments that are going to happen in Dublin and the potential for them. I recently sat through a presentation on the plans for the Rings End site, the old glass bottle site, as it's often referred to. They're going to put in, I think, something of 20,000 housing units in there um, and no plan to put in public transport. So that is going to be an area that's going to be completely dependent on the car or cycle lanes or, or pedestrian activity, but no public transport. That seems absolutely yeah. crazy in an area you, that's going that's to feed into the Strand down. Road. So this planning issue that you raised, Jim and, and Kieran, you know, it's just not, we're just not good about it. If we you were in a Scandinavian city, you would be sitting there and thinking, the first thing we do is put in the public transport and then you build the houses because that's what makes sense. Okay, you may not actually run the tram uh, until the houses are built and occupied, but at least you have the infrastructure in there first. We're all suffering from the, uh, the disruption that comes from putting in public transport after the effect, as we see now in Dublin with the extension and joining up of the two Lewis lines and as we've seen with the the disruption to commuting around the country when major roads are being built. Okay, Jim Park. Jane, I, I'd like to think that what you're describing there um, is just a modern phenomenon. Uh, not desirable, but it's a modern phenomenon. It's not. I mean, when Tala was built, for example, they just basically relocated thousands of people to an area the size of Limerick City and provided absolutely no infrastructure no social infrastructure particularly and, yep. and the net result of that has been mm. feeding well, out I for years could be argued but Tala is fighting back in fairness It could be argued that we didn't have the finances at the time But, yeah, I but think, then we I shouldn't we do the do relocation now. Sure, Niall Collins, what would you like to see the government do? Yeah, well, there's, there's two points just on the, the team of the discussion at the moment uh, First of all, just to pick up your point in relation to Charlie McCreevy's decentralisation I actually thought it was quite a good concept It was before my time in politics but the the, the areas of Ireland that have received decentralisation of government departments have benefited hugely. There is no doubt about it. And those people and those communities are very, very happy Jim about it. frowning at that yeah, suggestion. Jim, Jim might agree, but, but those communities, if you take Killarney, for example, with the Free Legal Aid Board or uh, Newcastle West in my own constituency that has a, a unit of the revenue commissioners, uh, they have brought a vibrancy and an economic, uh, a level of economic activity to those Well, areas. I don't think the, anybody the, would disagree with decentralisation in the, principle. The, it was just the way it was yes, presented the, and delivered. And, and yeah. the delivery was the problem. They, they allowed, they left it to the civil service to decentralise to decentralise themselves, which was which was which wasn't the way to do it. They should have uh, found a, a more professional mechanism to plan it and to execute it. But anyway, that that ship has sailed. In terms of of planning, um, and again, I'll use my city of Limerick as as an example, if I may. Um, the, the local authority has stepped in because the market is broken in Limerick. They've set up their own uh, property development company to develop a number of the key strategic sites in Limerick. And uh, the argument was made to me recently by a private developer in Limerick who, who's looking to develop um, office space, of which there's a chronic shortage, because he's now uh, held up in Board Planola by a number of... Who are we talking about? Um, it's the Butler, uh, Rudy Butler uh, development uh, in conjunction with his father, Robert Butler. Um, 
they're trying to develop a, a couple of thousand square feet of office space in Limerick city centre, and they made the, they made the, the case quite convincingly to me that we need to look at. Uh, particularly in our city centres for a commercial office type space, uh, strategic uh, development zones where, like what you have in New York, for example, where in New York, if you're looking at a site, you know that you're entitled to build uh, a building of so many stories, of so many square footage, and, and the delay in the planning process is delaying everything, is delaying jobs, is delaying economic activity. We don't do planning good, and we, you know, and it's a worry that I voiced during the recent uh, housing and homelessness crisis that, and the debates that we've been having in Dáil Éireann. I, I I worry about the competency within the Department of Environment and their forward planning sections to actually deliver on the key infrastructural projects that we need in this country. It, it's a worry, and I think if you look at the, the trend and the history, uh, I think uh, my worry may be borne out as right, being correct. Okay. Well, if there's to be a Fianna Fáil government next, let's hope you don't get the Department of the Environment as a ministry, because well, well, they mightn't appreciate those to be, to uh, comments. Be fair, to be fair to Barry Cowan, and to, to touch on the point that, that Jim has made in terms of you know the, the hollowing out of the cores of our, our towns and our villages, and indeed our cities, that is correct, and it's regrettable. Uh, there is, unfortunately, by modern you know standards, there's going to be have to be some out of town development. But we had a, a pretty comprehensive policy document named Streets Ahead. It's available on the Fianna Fáil website, which uh, right. Barry Cowan gave for us to try and address I'm, I'm and promote economic activity to in town centres. Uh, what I experience in many towns that I work in around the country, that you go into the town centre, uh, you have to look for parking and pay for parking. You can go a half a mile outside the town to the Tesco or wherever, uh, free parking. I mean, th- that is a mad financing strategy. You know, it's, that is just going to suck people out of towns. So I think local authorities, if they got a proper funding mechanism in place, they could actually do a lot to address uh, those sorts of issues. And the uh, same is for Dublin city centre, where there's high parking on street parking costs and sure. You know, you can park for free on the outskirts in other park in other shopping centres. So sure. yes, a lot of this things just needs to be joined up, and we do need to get that planning issue and move more quickly with planning. We have a major piece of land here beside where National College of Ireland is here in the Docklands, prime real estate, completely sanitised for the Dart Underground, which hasn't even got the go ahead for funding. And I reckon that site will be at least another ten years before there's any sign of development. My thanks to Niall Collins, Jim Parr and Gina Quinn. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, we'll be talking about Brexit in the wake of Theresa May triggering Article 50 to begin the process of the UK exiting the European Union. Niall Collins and Jim Parr will be staying with me back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash business. In this part of the show, we'll be talking about Brexit. Today, the UK Prime Minister, Theresa May, triggered Article 50, beginning the journey towards exiting the European Union. We now know that Britain will be out of the EU by April 2019. But on what terms and what will this mean for Ireland? Fianna Fáil TD, Niall Collins and economist Jim Power remain in the studio to discuss this important issue with me. 
And we're also joined by Cliff Taylor, the business editor of the Irish Times. But first, let's listen to a little of what Theresa May had to say in the House of Commons earlier about her vision for Britain and her priorities in the negotiations with the EU. And this will be followed by a few words from Donald Tusk, of the European president of the European Council, who responded to Mrs May's comments earlier. We will consult fully on which powers should reside in Westminster and which should be passed on to the devolved administrations. But, Mr Speaker, no decisions currently taken by the devolved administrations will be removed from them. And it is the expectation of the Government that the devolved administrations in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland will see a significant increase in their decision-making power as a result of this process. We want to maintain the common travel area with the Republic of Ireland. There should be no return to the borders of the past. We will pursue a bold and ambitious free trade agreement with the European Union that allows for the freest possible trade in goods and services between Britain and the EU's member states, that gives British companies the maximum freedom to trade with and operate within European markets, and that lets European businesses do the same in Britain. Uh, as for me, I, I will not pretend that uh, this is that I am happy today. But uh, paradoxically, there is uh, also something positive in Brexit. Brexit has made us, the community of 27, more determined and more united than before. And what can I uh, add to this? Uh, we, we already miss you. Thank you and goodbye. Cliff Taylor, begin with you. It's still hard to believe that the UK is actually planning to leave the European Union. But there we are, nine months on from the referendum. They finally triggered mm. Article 50 and we now begin the journey. What's the process from here and what will it mean for Ireland? Yeah, you could you could say no going back now. I suppose technically there's some legal argument about whether it might be possible. Well, Theresa May, I think, did say that, didn't she? There's yeah. no turning back now. Yeah, but look, it's, it's, it's going to happen now. Uh, it's clear it's going to happen. What happens next is in the next 48 hours by Friday, draft negotiating guidelines are going to be uh, circulated among EU member states to set the EU's priorities. Uh, there then be a summit of EU leaders at, uh, at the end of April to formally sign off on this. And uh, we expect the discussions, as negotiations, I should say, to start in earnest late May or early June. So there's still going to be a fair bit of shadow boxing before the real talking starts, if you like. It, it was a strange day in some ways. The, the mood music, to some extent, I suppose you could see that both sides were, 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 were trying not to close off uh, the possibility a deal would be reached. Uh, Theresa May was talking about her desire for a, for a far-reaching deal with the EU. And you know, EU figures have said have said the same, but it is clear that there are big, you know, big problems, big issues to be to be got over. Uh, and I suppose if you're going to identify one, the first up is going to be what's the exit bill going to be for for the UK as it leaves the EU. The figure of 60 billion euro has been floated. Theresa May said in the House of Commons today that Britain recognised that that a bill would have to be paid. She didn't refer to any figure, but Britain has fought against anything, you know, the, the suggestion that the figure would be anything like that. So that is one of the key And points. there has been a suggestion that if they leave without a deal, that the bill will be zero. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot of legal argument about that, and the EU has uh, is believed to have threatened to take, or likely to threaten to take Britain to the International Court of Justice in The Hague to try and rule on that if that happens. But I think it is kind of beyond question that Britain, the way the EU budget works, that Britain has commitments and has pension liabilities and has pension and liabilities, so but also commitments to EU spending programs that it's made. You know, programs set out not only up the period it leaves, but after the period it leaves. But it, it's going to be really contentious because you're talking mm. about money going to uh, fund investment in other countries, particular poor, particularly poorer parts of the EU, like Poland and Romania, and all that, you know, and you can just see how that would play politically. The other big issue, I think, the other tricky thing that that has been clearly signalled today is that Theresa May wants talks on the exit to take place alongside talks on a new trade deal. So she wants the two key negotiations to go in parallel. And the rest of Europe, and, and there were a lot of noises from the European Parliament today, and also in the Council statement was very clear, no, we have to pretty much tie up the divorce first before we get on to the new trade deal. Now, and that's what's provided for in the treaties, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, and presuming that is what happens, that means you know that the period of uncertainty for Ireland and Irish business is going to continue for a good while yet, because the you know the tariff negotiations won't even you know start to enter the negotiations. The, the trade terms won't even start to enter the negotiations, perhaps until well into yeah. next year. And that's assuming that the negotiations are still continuing at that stage and that they haven't completely sure. fallen out of bed, which is a real risk, I think. Now, Collins, what does Fianna Fáil think that the government's priorities should be in these negotiations and how should we influence them? Yeah, well, I, I think, um, first of all, I, I was glad to see in Theresa May's uh, correspondence to, to the European Union today that she specifically made mention of Ireland and the special relationship that exists and she's acknowledged uh, the land border and the, the need and the desire to avoid um, a hard border and to maintain the common travel area and indeed to preserve the peace process because remembering it's an international, it's a registered international peace agreement as well. Uh, so it, it's bigger than, than the European Union. And the European so, Union is heavily invested. I mean, they put something like 1.3 billion euro into the peace process themselves. Absolutely. The Peace and Interreg Fund uh, is a hu- has been a huge source of funding which has benefited so many communities in the north of Ireland and cross-border, uh, you know, uh, along the border regions. In terms of um, our priorities, we want to see a greater, I think, investment from government in terms of our people and our, our our effort from government it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been good enough in our view. If you look at uh, the UK government, they have a dedicated minister, a dedicated department with uh, three hundred and thirty five officials in it. Uh, what we have seen, um, the the Taoiseach has failed to appoint a Brexit minister, and the Taoiseach is saying that he will take on sole responsibility and he's leading it. Uh, and we know, uh, with every respect to Andy Kenny, he he's at the exit door in in terms of uh, exiting out of the the office of teach it quite soon. So I, I think um, we need to try and safeguard continuity of personnel and uh, you know keeping uh, the, the in as much as we can the same people involved in the process to, to protect uh, the continuity and obviously Ireland's position. Uh, Enterprise Ireland only got 30 additional extra staff in terms of uh, their manpower. They're mm. still hiring those staff. Okay, so the more I, staff the ag- yeah. across the board. What, what else? What, what, what I'd also like to see, uh, for example, is the, the whole area of state aid rules uh, really needs to be looked at. There's a cap of 200,000 uh, euros in terms of, of the state funding of companies. Uh, 
go above that and you breach the state aid rules. There has been no efforts by government at all uh, to approach uh, DG competition in, in the Commission to try and address that type of an issue. We need to look at an enterprise stabilisation fund. We know that our SMEs uh, export 40% of their output uh, to the UK, so it's going to impact us uh, the most uh, proportionately in terms of uh, the the impact on trade. So we, we, we just have to get our heads around that in terms of supporting our SMEs and the government I think mm. has failed abysmally so far. Uh, Jim Perry, there might be some opportunities here. Obviously Brexit uh, throws up the possibility of financial services firms coming from the City of London. If they want to passport around uh, the European Union, they're going to need to have a, a base uh, somewhere in the European Union. Yeah, could I first say, Kieran, that uh, I said on this podcast a long time ago that I believe we should have appointed a Brexit minister. You did. I still believe that. So, you know, and we haven't. And that worries me because we now have a month really to get our issues out there on the table. In and an I heard way. on Morning Ireland this morning that um, the UK is hiring a thousand mm. civil servants yeah. specifically to deal with the negotiation. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible it's number. A, it's, it's incredible. It'll be needed. You know, there's no doubt about this that. This is going to be a month. It, it is, absolutely. Uh, thousands of pieces of legislation, etc., to be unravelled and recreated. Mm. It's, it's, it's mad stuff. So talk about these opportunities. Uh, yeah, the, o- the opportunities. I mean, obviously, uh, one has got to plan on the basis that it will be some type of hard Brexit. Um, and on that basis, you will see financial institutions, particularly in the city of London, who sell into the EU market, moving to an EU country. And Ireland obviously has advantage in that regard because we have a strong financial services centre here. Uh, we ha- we speak the language. You know, there's a lot of we have a lot of stuff going for us. But have no doubt about it, cities like Vilnius and Paris and Amsterdam and Frankfurt will all be competing aggressively for that. Uh, for those um, businesses as well. So it is going to be a struggle. And what worries me, if if you're looking in at Ireland as a place in which to uh, relocate, uh, you look at the availability of housing, the affordability of housing, uh, you look at the availability and cost of commercial property. So we really need to make sure that over the next couple of years, we try and create as much capacity as possible to attract those businesses. Um, But I also think it's important to point out that you will also see Irish businesses um, probably relocating some of their operations to the UK. And there's been a bit of speculation in recent weeks about Dawn Meats um, taking over Dunbia, for example. I mean, that strikes me if it happens as a Brexit strategy. So it goes in both directions, but very definitely an opportunity for Ireland. But we're really going to have to up our game to um, exploit that, I no, think. No, Yeah, and just, just to give you an, another figure uh, to, to demonstrate my concern, and I think the, the alarm that your listeners will have when they hear this, the, the Department of, of um, Enterprise Jobs and Innovation, which is our main uh, industrial promotion job creating department uh, across government, has a Brexit unit comprising of three persons. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's flabbergasting, really, when when you think of it. And the Department of Finance have given us a, a pretty uh, a stark statistic, also, where they tell us that a three percent reduction in our economic output over a five year period will lead to a reduction of forty thousand jobs in this country. So, you know, the 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 slightest of shift, and we know that the challenges and the stresses that the currency fluctuations have already placed on some of our industries, like the mushroom industry and the food in the food sector. So we're really, really exposed, and we haven't seen. I think that um, urgency or degree of urgency coming from government and we want to avoid and my, my colleague Stephen Donnelly who's our Brexit uh, shadow minister he's shadowing the minister that 
that doesn't exist in terms of being a Brexit minister. You know, he has said today that we want to avoid uh, falling off the cliff. In other words, that the negotiations running right to the end of the two-year process. Mm. But sure, that's and, inevitable, and, isn't and it? Cliff is WTO. It'll be a um, it'll be a last-minute deal. Whatever whatever's agreed. Yeah, it tends to be the way the EU operates. You know, four o'clock in the morning on the last possible day. But as I said, you know that we, we really need to avoid that. Uh, what, what about the currency issue? A bit of a bounce in sterling, uh, I, I think, since uh, Theresa May got up in Westminster. Yeah. It's only small beer, but it's only nonetheless... Small beer. It's yeah, I, I think, you know, there's two ways of looking at that. One is, you know, you might think that the currency markets have priced all this in. Uh, I think the more likely thing is that they have no more idea than the rest of us what's, what's going to happen. Mm. Stock markets, what was the reaction there? Uh, fairly relaxed. Camp. The US market was strong last night, so European markets have been have been pretty strong today. Uh, I think what we're going to see over the next few months is we're going to see periods when the talks are under pressure or there's falling out or threats of failure, sterling is going to fall. And if the talks go well, sterling is going to go back up again. Uh, I think that's pr- that's probably the, the pattern we're going to see. So, so you know, uncertainty there for, for Irish businesses and that be good in the short for term. Irish exports, it'd be good for Irish tourism. Well, to the extent that sterling stays firm, absolutely. But I think, you know, Mm. That can't be guaranteed, and I, I think there's going to be a big row over the over the sixty billion. That's that's the first big row we're looking at, and you know if there's a threat of the whole talks falling, then you could you could see sterling. Will there be vulnerable. a deal on the border in Northern Ireland? Uh, there is going to be a border reimposed on Northern uh, in Ireland. Unfortunately, uh, I, I can't see a way around that. The, the question is how is it going to operate? Britain is going to leave the customs union. Uh, that means there has to be there has to be a border on trade. We are the only land border between uh, between the EU and uh, and Britain. So I can't see how you can avoid avoid the reimposition of some kind of border uh, on the island of Ireland. It may be there's all this talk about it being as frictionless as possible. Uh, that technology can do a lot of the checking uh, that were currently done by a fellow putting up his hand and, and and searching the back of a truck. I hope that's possible. I hope it can be structured so that. The, 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 the tens of thousands of movements we see of ordinary people every day aren't, aren't interrupted. That, that should hopefully be What about the possible. common travel area and the right of Irish people to work in Britain, which I, has been I, there since the 1920s? I think those things are, should be rescuable. Uh, certainly in the context of these talks progressing, you, 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 could, you, could, you could see the common travel area being agreed and you could see the mutual recognition of British people working in Ireland, Irish people working in Britain continuing. Mm. That, that, that should be doable. So, but, but, but there is a bigger issue, bigger issue of the border and there is the real threat of tariffs and disruption to trade. I uh, think Jim Power, there's been a lot of scaremongering around Brexit. Is it justified? I mean, this could work out just fine, couldn't it? Well, I suppose the fact is that we have never been in the European Union without Britain. Okay, so that is now going to change. And that is a huge fundamental change. And and to be honest, anybody who claims to know how this thing is going to end up is mad. We have no idea. The politics on both sides are just so incredibly complicated. I mean, you look at Theresa May, what she's going to have to try and do to placate what is a very divided country over Brexit. And then you look at the EU 27, each member country will have its own very unique interests. And as we know, through EU policymaking down through the years, um, it takes ages. And what you end up with is a watered down compromise. So it's going to be really difficult. What my view would be that we need to plan on the basis that a hard Brexit is the most likely option. And we plan on that basis. And every business needs to think about how would that impact on my business. Mm. And you plan and do you believe the government and when if it turns out something better, that's a bonus. And do you, you believe know? the government when they say they have a plan, that they have a contingency plan in place? No, I don't. Right. Noel Collins, final word to you. Uh, 
two points. Uh, the, the the whole area concerning a hard vis-a-vis a soft border is hugely concerning, and nobody has really discussed. Uh, and I mentioned this at at the risk of you know sounding uh, racist or xenophobic, but we have had an immigration crisis into Europe, and Calais is is the big uh, graphic image that people are looking at. And you know, if people can come into this country and transit into the UK, which is their ultimate def- destination, and there's no border. Uh, or, or there's a soft border well then you know I, I just worry about that that is something that is that's another complexity uh, to put into the mix in terms of how, how frictionless a border can we achieve uh, if you look at um, switching back to the time scale if you look at the, the recent agreement which is nearly well it is concluded it's going through the ratification process uh, the trade agreement with Canada the EU-Canada the CETA agreement that took seven years Seven years is a long time, and that was one agreement with Canada, one of the most modern and progressive. Yeah, but mind and, you, and we've we, we've effectively had an agreement with uh, Britain. The EU has had an agreement with Britain over the past uh, forty years. So, I mean, it shouldn't take that long. True, true. But but bear in mind, and I don't know. I, I'm sure a lot of uh, people listening to this heard or saw uh, the report by the RTE correspondent Tony Connolly in conjunction with the Marine Institute, where he detailed the complexity of unraveling the common fishery policies, and that's only one small aspect. Mm. of it you know so we're we're, we're 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 into uh, just to be clear what's your understanding will, will there be a vote in the doll on whatever final deal we've heard from Theresa May that whatever final deal is agreed will be put to the UK Parliament but uh, what about on the EU side uh, does it get put to the European Parliament does it get put to national parliaments I, I'm not I'm not certain of that uh, I would imagine that there, there there will be a ratification process which may require all parliaments yeah, the European Parliament has to approve the deal by a, by a clear by, by a majority okay all right, something to look forward to. And um, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Niall Collins, Jim Power, Gina Quinn and Cliff Taylor. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. 